This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations for people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How's your Wednesday? Uh, it's really good. I um, had yesterday received my gooseberry and blueberry in the courier, so it's going to be a gardening day today. That sounds like a great thing to do. Is the weather cooperating? Yep, it is uh, just enough rain to keep the grass, uh, to get the ground a little bit damp, but not enough to make any more bloody floods. And no snow. Yeah, and no snow. (laughs) (laughs) And who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce blogger and political commentator Jared Otto. I came across Jared's work through the very lovely Pam Corkery, who we interviewed a year or so back. And uh, I'm a great admirer of his work. So it is a real pleasure and a privilege to have you here with us today, Jared, especially just at the end of the local body elections. Kia ora and welcome. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Kia ora, Jared. Jared, where are you? Um, I'm in Surfdale. I'm over on Waiheke Island in the Hauraki Gulf. I'm surrounded by native bush and tui and other native birds. It's a beautiful place here. We were there about a fortnight ago and left with the feeling of, why would you be anywhere else? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I often say to my wife, Vicky, why? Wow, we live on an island. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been with Vicky for about two years and we still haven't quite gotten over how good it is to live here. And if anybody was retired and living in Auckland... Why would they not spend their whole life on the ferry and on the bus service that you have, which is a good bus service, and going to every beach available? Yes, it's um, it's got everything here, really. It's got um, beautiful restaurants. It's got lovely beaches. Um, and in particular, on the northern side, there's some very, very beautiful beaches. Um, there's a lot of trees on the island. And I think if you've got an affinity for nature, it's one of the places that... Um, there's a bit of a secret, but I think all around the world, the secret's getting out that Waikiki is a good place to come to uh, for many, many reasons. But it's just good for the soul, I think, yeah. And were you there during the lockdowns? Yes, I experienced the lockdown here in the um, house that I'm in right now. And it was actually um, relatively painless, really, because um, it's a beautiful place to be. And during lockdown, um, I spent a lot of time um, commentating, I suppose. So, you know, it was kind of not that big a disruption to my life. Um, though it did disrupt um, a lot of the businesses on the island quite a bit. And you 
you, as in the locals, had the island to yourself for a while? Yeah. And in a strange way, uh, that's how I think most people on the island wanted it for a while because for quite a long time during 2021 in particular, um, we were still waiting for vaccinations. And during that rollout, New Zealand had um, gone into the elimination strategy and we were all doing our part to stay at home and do the, the right things by the health advice. So there is that kind of idea that you get some protection by being on an island about 20 kilometres um, from the, the central city where, you know, there were quite a lot of outbreaks going on. Um, there was, it was big news on the island if there was a, a case of COVID discovered, for example. During the election, people responded mostly positive to the decisions that the government was taking. Do you, do you think that that was a, a response to that they're keeping us safe? What, what was behind that such a positive response? Well, I think that um, even today, if you look at the latest Ipsos polls, you'll find that the majority of the public believe that the current government is the best equipped to um, provide a health response, you know, a scientific health response in a pandemic. And I think they definitely proved that all around everywhere in the world, um, particularly when we had versions of, um, of the COVID virus that uh, were more lethal than Omicron. And I think at, while we were waiting for vaccination to come, the public were actually very much on board with the um, government's health response and economic response to the pandemic. So I think that was reflected in the 2020 election. But have the wheels fallen off now? I think um, really what we've seen is New Zealand come through um, a, a difficult time. And I think that the um, truth of the uh, experience is that uh, there are some people who um, feel like they want to change. Um, I, I believe that um, that's not uh, necessarily a, a kind of a, it's too high level a kind of a position to take. I think what we've seen is a, um, a very um, good adaptation by the government and the Ministry of Health to the very the variant Omicron was, you know, that it was actually pretty much impossible to contain by elimination. Um, our vaccination levels had reached um, well over 90%. And I think, you know, it actually came down to um, a, a bit of a peak happening in March and most, a lot of New Zealanders actually contracted COVID and then came through the other side of it. But we also saw the reality of death. At the same time, we saw a lot of um, protests happening around our parliamentary front lawn about the um, vaccination mandates that have been applied. And I think it was quite a, a testing time um, on the mental health of New Zealanders. So it was always going to be difficult uh, for any government as we come through the, the downside, I suppose, of um, taking off restrictions. And in New Zealand, it coincided with an Omicron winter. So we had a second spike. And I believe, you know, at the point where we were starting to let go of everything, um, we also had an economic shock. So we had inflation reaching a peak. Um, and we believe it's a peak.
that's passed now um, in June, uh, in the June quarter of 7.3%. So combining all those factors, I think, you know, has had an impact on people's um, trust or perceptions about, you know, their voting intention. And that's reflected in a, in a myriad of polls at the moment in New Zealand. So what could be done to turn that around? Because as you say, we, we, we are actively coming out the other side of it. That surely there should be a time for celebration. Yes, I, I think that um, there's, a, there's a good body of people that are very grateful for all the things the government and the Ministry of Health did for us. You know, I think um, New Zealanders don't have a, that short a memory in general, a lot of them. I think most of them remember the, um, the wage subsidy, the um, res- business resurgent support payments that just got businesses through. Um, we we have now have like record unemployment in New Zealand, and we had commentators um, suggesting that we were going to have huge amounts of unemployment, and that didn't happen. People kept their jobs, and I think what has to happen is really that New Zealanders probably have to understand um, what drives things like the cost of living crisis. Um, how New Zealand is really being placed in terms of its success with COVID and through the pandemic. And I think, you know, it's really a matter of, I suppose what you'd say is um, a public education campaign (laughs) to some extent. Um, And, you know, that brings us to the area of how media and social media have covered the pandemic and, you know, to what extent um, positive messages or factual messages have been drowned out by all the negatives. We had Mark Baxter on the show on Monday talking about the uh, the local government elections and his take was that misinformation has won the election, not the disinformation, not the not the the, the, the far um I was going to say crazy, but the the, the far you know the the the, more, the less plausible stuff, but the we, we failed to really have a sort of a critical analysis of promises that just didn't add up. So in Dunedin, promises for you know things like a multi-story car park and not in, in, not in, um, increasing the rates. Do you think that it's are we going to see that on a national level, that where there's going to be promises for, for, for something better without adding up, but people will turn to that anyway? Yeah, I think that there is a problem with misinformation, um, and I think it's one of the reasons that I do what I do, which is um, try and provide a little bit more of a strengthening, you know, I think, around um, the, the facts, I think, that aren't being reported in some of the institutions that, you know, we rely on in our democracy. And I think we're seeing a lack of or a declining level of trust in some of these institutions. And I think we've actually got an asymmetric, I'll, I'll call it an asymmetric media structure in New Zealand, uh, who is pretty fond of pointing at social media um, for the source of all and misinformation and disinformation. But itself um, has um, really created some sort of gaps where 
factual information isn't getting through. Today, I talked to a couple of people who were in their 30s who had only found out that there were even uh, local elections happening when there was a controversy surrounding Lord and uh, her ballot paper and it being featured. And what they said to me was that there is a huge proportion of people in society that tuned out, that didn't engage, and you only have to look at those turnout figures with local elections. And what they say to you is, well, something close to 64% of New Zealanders didn't engage, didn't know, weren't across, didn't care, whatever the reason was, uh, about their local government issues. And many of the people that did engage may not have been particularly well informed. They may have been voting, like you say, for things that weren't deliverable. And I think, you know, there's many examples of pretty misleading narratives that um, are left unchecked, even in the, in the mainstream media, that um, I spend quite a bit of time visiting, you know, I write about them. Uh, and I guess what, you know, I'm seeing is that there's a kind of a need to keep it real in New Zealand. And I think we need to promote real facts um, much more strongly. And we need to strengthen the foundations of democracy around mainstream media coverage so my comment would be that I don't believe there's a direct uh, reflection, you know, between these local government um, outcomes and results that we've just seen because of the lack of engagement. You know, there's not a, a large enough sample um, to really reflect what would happen in a general election and never has historically been the case that you can draw those comparisons. The Prime Minister has said on a number of occasions that you know, we've had progressive mayors while we've had conservative prime ministers and governments. So there's no correlation between the two. However, what I am concerned about is this kind of um, tendency that we might be heading in a sort of a direction that happened around 2016 in the United States, where you get a kind of an angry um, New Zealand public who are over a couple of things, maybe the pandemic, maybe the cost of living crisis has, um, you know, got under people a little bit and they're looking for change. But they've got to ask what kind of change and they've got to say, well, uh, am, I, am I aware of um, the good job, you know, the good work and the positive things, the direction that the New Zealand government has been going in anyway, you know, or has that always been throttled and um, has it been suppressed by the way that our... Um, plurality of media voices, all uh, wall-to-wall negative in much of their reporting about the government. So, for example, today, I'll give you an example. Today, um, there was a world-leading um, agreement between the government and um, agriculture to uh, do much more about lowering uh, methane and, and emissions. And yet the coverage that you'll find in, in the media is that... Um, that they're, they're, they're kind of seeking to divide. So you've got like um, media going, oh look, sheep and beef farmers, you know, they're not the real culprits here and it's really dairy farmers. And so they're creating these two camps that are polarized and they're creating a kind of a negative story out of something positive uh, where a government has managed to actually bring along a group that has actually, you know, not been able to uh, easily change, but uh, now they are. And um, 
at the same time, you look back at that European uh, trade deal that was done earlier in the year, and you find the media saying, but what about the dairy farmers? You know, and they just find the negative, and they actually go out and advertise for negative stories. And they advertise for a lot of negative stories during the pandemic. They're trying to find people that weren't happy. They're trying to find stories about how there was a crisis all the time. But in actual fact, New Zealand's mortality rates were world leading, you know, and our health system did a tremendous job under stress. They planned a lot of um, things for the Omicron winter that was like a double whammy with the flu. Um, and, you know, to be honest, we came through really, really well. The whole crisis around a, an absence of rat tests turned into nothing. You know, rats were there when they were needed. Uh, the entire narrative around a slow vaccine rollout, you only need to look at the Australian vaccine rollout to see that it's not particular to New Zealand. It's particular to the status of countries at the end of 2020 when it came to vaccination and what the needs of that country was. New Zealand and Australia were both effectively running elimination type strategies and they had less of a need for urgent supplies of vaccines. And so we were able to cope with a six-month delay. And I believe we actually had an entire six-month period in 2021 where there wasn't a single case of COVID in New Zealand. And that's fabulous. But you don't get that um, celebration or positive reporting in any headlines, in any media. And um, I, I can raise multiple misleading narratives that exist right now that um, our mainstream media have failed to um, really report the upside about um, because of this kind of tendency to hold the government account and at the same time um, not really focus on misleading opposition narratives that are quite misleading. You know, I think there's misinformation present in uh, opposition politics all the time that isn't really being, it's never making a headline, for example. And I think that's what I try and uh, provide for people uh, on social media, a place where you can go because, you know, I ask this question, where can you go to find, if New, if New Zealand's got a government that's actually doing good things, where can you go to find that being reported upon? Can you find it on television New Zealand One News? Can you find it on, on three uh, at six? Can you find it on News Talk ZB? Can you find it in the, in the New Zealand Herald? Will you find positive uh, articles in the spin-off? Will you find it somewhere in stuff? Maybe you'll find a bit in stuff. But in general, it's wall-to-wall -wall negative headlines holding the government to account. You've got huge amounts of pretty uninformed political opinion mixed in with news. Um, and so you've got this need, you've got this gap where if you do happen to have a government that's doing a world-class job, but you've only got negative stories being told in an asymmetric media structure, then you've got this whole population sitting there going through some kind of mental stress because they're not seeing the facts that they know are true being reported by a press that they are supposed to trust, that they've just started to lose their trust in them. And I think that's terrible for democracy. And I think we need to strengthen that. And I think there's all sorts of reasons to have better public broadcasting in New Zealand, much better, stronger messaging about, you know, 
the good side as well as the, 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 the criticisms of government, you know, and I think there's a... I'm going to squeeze in and interrupt with the first of your music choices. Let's have a Rage Against the Machine, Sleep Now in the Fire. Why this one? I think Sleep Now in the Fire is just a kind of a, a good metaphor for um, people who are kind of ticking on through life. Um, they'll get round to an election and the three or four weeks before the election. In the mean, you know, but in the meantime, a lot of people are not engaged, like you just saw in the local elections. So let's just leave it there. It's just about a lack of engagement, sleeping now in the fire, you know, and just hearing um, misleading narratives all the time. <laughs>
Noble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahua hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last more than two and a half years have been very trying. We've had to learn so many new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling. And for all of us, I know we are still processing all the changes that have taken place in our lives and the myriad of lives that we're co-evolving alongside with in an infinite web. As I speak to you now, I'm heading out to my heart's home workplace, Orokanoi Eco Sanctuary. I'll be meeting a very special sound recording man, Professor Jim Meltzner, who's recorded beautiful sounds from all over the world and is now coming to Orokanoi to record our song of the forest, which is very exciting. And of course, this has got me thinking about the power of sound and the impact that sound has on all our lives. I know as a singer that, of course, there's so much that can be conveyed just with our tone of voice. But constantly in our lives we're surrounded by a whole orchestra. And it can be really helpful to make sure we get the right balance between noise and silence. I love silence and stillness. And of course that silence and stillness helps us to reconnect with the silence and stillness within us. At the moment, at the Womansion, there are roadworks going on. The whole area outside my house is being dug up and concrete cut and refilled and it's all very dramatic. And this barrage of sound is quite different from the more peaceful environment that I'm used to. So I'm really doing my best to seek out places and spaces of stillness and quiet. Not spending so much time at the Womansion during the day. So I really hope for you, you're finding the right environment for you. To find that place where you can relax, you can recharge. You can remember tranquility, the peace within you, within your inner sanctuary and feel nourished by this. My band, Tahu and the Takahes, have a gig this weekend at the Port Chalmers Town Hall. There'll be lots of other bands playing and this is to reinvigorate a space that has been in ruins for many years, the Foundry a fundraiser for this so we'll have another venue to play music which is really exciting so I'm looking forward to sharing some music I hope in a really loving and nurturing way that gets everybody up and dancing and gets everybody remembering the joy and the possibility 
that surrounds us, even in the midst of all this change. So I really hope for you, you're finding these moments of celebration and connection in your own life and making the most of these times when we can come together to share, to communicate, to entertain one another, to uplift one another, to share our stories. And just like the birds in the forest, when we send out our voice, in many ways we are mapping our environment, just as the birds do. We send out our voice and we see who speaks back. We send out our voice and we see who is there listening. And it's so important that we do. So thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me as part of this amazing, inspiring show. And I look forward to talking to you all again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Jared Otto. Jared, um, this is a real uh, path with heart for you. And I see a real passion for politics and people and community. Where did this come from? Well, I'm not really sure if it comes from anywhere special other than um, a desire to say what you think while you're here. <laughs> I remember saying that to my children. I've got two sons and I, I think it's important while you are here, speak out. And um, I think it's important to learn and discover. And um, I come from a family that um, actually has another journalist in it. And um, uh, my sister's an artist, um, but my my parents were uh, pretty pretty good academically. Uh, my father was a professor uh, of electrical engineering, and so I just came from a background where um, there was quite a good conversations in the family about issues. And no, I just I think it sort of comes from uh, quite a space of ignorance, really. I've actually tried to teach myself a lot of things. I've I've got the same questions everybody else has. So it's about catching up, and it's about going on an arc of discovery and learning as a person. I mean, I look back and I wouldn't agree with myself 20 years ago anymore, which is a good thing. I think I've learned some stuff along the way. And I I continue to do that. And I think everyone is. And uh, I think that's just what we're trying to uh, do with what I'm I'm blogging, you know, that we're just looking every single day at uh, the latest, finding out what we can about it and discussing it together online. You've got a, um, a, a critical approach to, th- to things, I've noticed. So I, I see the process that you go through of, of you hear something or, or you observe something and then you investigate it and then you report on it in a balanced way. It's a real properly critical approach. And it sounds like you've been raised with that approach. How do we, um, how do we help adult New Zealand develop that same approach to information, develop that critical curiosity and, and desire to actually dig out the real facts and understand the real truth? Well, I think we need to, um, I, d- I do think we need to connect with each other. You know, I think we need to get out of echo chambers a little bit. Um, one of the things that I do is that I um, do the uncomfortable work of um, understanding the things I don't agree with. So I go out, We'll go and look at some rhetoric that um, I don't like, but I'll understand it. And then once I've understood it, I'm in a position to comment on it. Um, If I just stayed inside an echo chamber and didn't um, venture out of it, then I don't think I'd be bringing 
facts on the table, you know, particularly when it comes to um, kind of looking at a, a conversation that actually does span issues properly. You've got to get across them all. So I think to some extent, getting out of your tribe and then coming back to your tribe. <laughs> um, there's a saying that I heard the other day that was really good. Uh, that was like, in order to see the light, sometimes you need to touch the darkness. <laughs> True story. Uh, I like that. I think, you know, um, frequently you've got these um, kind of like loops where people are never getting out of their little um, echo chambers. And so you get these um, very fractured, um, divided, you know, communities where people can't even talk to each other. But we do need to find ways in which we can um, have discussions where we're not um, provoked, you know, where we don't get big arguments with each other, where we can actually just um, look at things factually. I find writing things down a much easier form of communication, I think, than um, talking face to face. Because I think in New Zealand, um, we tend to try and veer away from anything to, that will give us conflict, particularly with people we don't know particularly well. And um, you need to feel safe that you can say what you think. So, yeah, I think the community, I've got a real community that follows me and they're basically quite fact-hungry um, people and they bring a lot of information to me as well. I'm not operating by myself, but I can tell you one thing and that is that I just wake up every morning and I have usually got no idea what I'm going to say, but within half an hour I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've had in the Eastern Bay of Plenty in this local body elections about 20% voter return um, there are a few different reasons for that. Uh, one of them being that uh, in a lot of cases, particularly for people on the Māori roll, they never actually received their voting papers. And um, that actually happened to Nanaia Mahuta, never received her voting papers. So this is a widespread problem and hopefully there'll be a bunch of investigations into that. But but that, you know, the, but a lot of people did receive their voting papers, but they still didn't engage in the process. And I wonder if you've got any thoughts on why we've had such low engagement this time round. I know that there's, there's, there's an inquiry. Local government New Zealand is keen on having it as well, but I'll also note that they, they thought they'd got it right this time. <laughs> so it's, it's a long-term problem with me back here. And I think there's a there's a big challenge to get people interested in local politics um, because for whatever reason um, what's happening at your swimming pool your park or you know um, your buses or what have you it doesn't seem to interest people um, a lot of people that much and uh, I do think that um, the postal ballot and um, some of those areas people are already talking about changing that you know I think they're going to do this inquiry and they're going to come out the other side with um, some changes to make things easier for people. But at the same time, I personally found it quite um, difficult, you know, to actually understand who I was voting for because I was voting for, I think in the end it was something like nine or ten people, um, something like that by the time I selected them all. And I knew some of those people, but I hadn't done all the research I needed to. So what I'm saying is that local elections are hard if you want to be informed. You've actually got to do a lot of legwork. You know, you've actually got to really want to you know be involved in knowing every candidate maybe even how they behave in council meetings for example um, so what i saw people saying was that they were looking for some of those um, central government issues in some of their local elections they were looking for people that they could say you're an anti-vaxxer <laughs> and sort of you're against three waters or something or you're um, 
you know, not my cup of tea for whatever reason. I think, you know, you don't deserve to be in the council. So whatever your alignment was on a more national level, um, people were trying to vote that way. Um, but certainly not everybody was. So I think there kind of needs to be some good analysis. And I think there needs to be better ways that the local governments reach people anyway. I mean, we just saw some interesting news about TikTok videos being produced by local government to try and reach younger people because increasingly um, the idea is that um, our attention spans are just becoming shorter. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. And, uh, you know, like today's example that I mentioned before, where you've got a couple of 30-year-olds that didn't even know local elections were on. Wow. I mean, how did they miss out? I mean, I, I knew they were on, but I, I confess that I wasn't 100% clear when the voting periods were um, going to begin and end. And I knew the candidates, I'd watched some of the debates, but I certainly didn't know all of the local board members, you know, that I ended up voting for at them all or anything like that. Um, so how do people engage? Your question's a good one. You know, how do you get all that information? And does it need to be a little bit easier? Um, so the one question is, are we biting off too much? You know, like um, with some of the elections, are we asking too much? Um, for people to be able to effectively get themselves informed and vote for so many people. <laughs> in general elections, you're generally only voting for a party and you're voting for, um, you know, uh, um, only a few, a handful of issues. So it's, it's a little bit di different dynamic, different rhythm. Do you think that, like, digital voting is, is interesting. I was talking to our former mayor, Judy Turner, she's, um, she has just uh, lost the mayoralty here in the Eastern Bay. Uh, and I was talking to her about um, about digital voting and she said that when she went to mayor school at the beginning of the last triennium, um, they had the, I don't know, some uh, branch of government came to see them, the ones that wear the funny things in their ear and go around being more mysterious, came and, and talked to them about why we will never have digital voting. And they said we won't have digital voting not because of the possibility of interference in the in the actual voting process, but but because it enables all of those interest groups to create doubt and say that it was an inter the process was interfered with. They don't have to interfere with the process. They just have to plant the seed to say that they did. And uh, and that takes away the, the safety and security of democracy. But do you, do you think that that would be a real issue here? Or do you think it's time we did digital voting since we have a digital census? Where, well, are, we, where are we at with that? I think what people need to know is that there's a way that um, their vote can be verified. And I think that the, solving the verification issue is the big, is the big challenge. I think there really are problems with security. There, there's security issues everywhere in the digital world. Um, and I think the powers that be actually understand that really clearly. So you might see some kind of um, mixed mode, you know, where there's um, digital and some kind of voting slip that's uh, a physical piece of verification required. I don't know what that model is personally, but I think there's a way through, and it usually involves some kind of hybrid like that um, that gets us to the point where you know, people are assured or more assured. Uh, um, yeah, it's got to it's got to come back to verification. So until people can see the verification, trust it, then there's going to be trust issues around any kind of digital voting. Do we need to go then to a polling booth Saturday, um, like we've you know, like we've always done with our central government? 
would would that be the change? Well, I think that's helpful because simple, you know, like I think what I was getting at before is instead of asking people to do things that are a little bit um, unfamiliar now <laughs> for half the population, um, you know, try and make it very simple. I don't have a huge amount to offer about this area but other than to say those are the obvious things, you know, like make it easy, make it simple, and find better ways to reach the communities that aren't being reached. The data will be obvious what who they are, target those people, get innovative, find ways to reach them, get them interested, explain why, you know, they should be interested. I mean, having the kind of conversations you and I are having just, you know, one step further, you know, like why should you care about your swimming pool? Why should you care about parks? Why does it matter, um, you know, the pipes, you know, the whole three waters um, kind of debate, you know, how many more rate rises can you afford? <laughs> How's it mean for you? Um, where I live at the moment, um, we've just got like uh, Auckland Transport has just actually decided to make 90% of the roads on the island here, um, 30 kilometer and 40 kilometer speed limit zones. Wow. Um, quite a reaction because a lot of people they kind of knew that this was going to happen around schools and they kind of knew it was going to happen around shops. And they, there are a lot of skinny little rural roads here and it makes a lot of sense when you've got driveways and people, you know, skinny little roads. I don't think you can even drive at 50 or 60k down them, they're just too windy. But there are also big wide roads across the middle of the island that are quite normal. And the idea of having to drive at 30 kilometres per hour down all of those um, isn't so attractive. And so there's a bit of a backlash. So you know, perhaps that's an example of where communications were about 60% good, but there was a 40% improvement required <laughs> because it kind of got rung on people on the island. You know, everyone's keen on being safe, but I think there's a lot of people here that don't understand what are the factual basis for some of these roads having their speed limits decreased. I mean, I also talk to people that talk about cycleways and they'll go around in the middle of the day and say, look, there's no one... No one on that cycleway. Why is it taking up the road? Um, then I'll say something like, well, you know, if you were down here at 6.30 a.m. and between then and 9 o'clock, you'd see a whole lot of cyclists in these cycleways. Um, you know, and if you would look at roads at 4 a.m. in the morning, they're all empty. <laughs> and um, so it's when you look at things. And um, I, I, I just think that the population hears a lot of narratives about um, some of these issues. But you've got a lot of people walking around with sort of... Um, just a sort of a fairly first take idea about a lot of the issue and um, sort of getting people a little bit more involved and a bit more informed. It's interesting you talked about um, is it too much for people and taking people with you. And Three Waters is a good example where what they're doing is quite complicated, but the the counter to it is nice and simple, repeal Three Waters. And it's really hard to have a conversation that's balanced when one side – has to do a whole explanation and positive and put it all together. And the other side's just able to say, nah. Yeah, so people are saying, repeal it with what? What are you going to repeal it with? Where's your detailed alternative plan? And at the moment, it's extremely vague. You know, there is no alternative plan. You know, there's some vague talk about, you know, creating a bank and, um, you know, some private, you know, part public partnerships or some kind of form of outside investment being applied on a council by council regional basis. But Three Waters is actually, in my view, quite complicated when you try and go through all of the paperwork, but it's reasonably straightforward. 
um, as, as, a, as a concept. Foundationally, it's about a small level of um, amalgamation in order to be able to fund the um, required normal um, standards of water that we need across the whole country without all the variation. You know, I think I've heard, is it a million people have poor drinking water at the moment? The status quo isn't going to have, isn't going to work. But repealing three waters with what is what people should be asking, and how much is that going to cost? What are the ratings going to be in small councils if you know? And are they going to still be at the mercy of the large councils anyway? So I think people need to look further into it, you know. And this is where I, I touched on before I didn't get into it, but I. I say it's kind of like these misleading narratives, and I call them opposition narratives, that aren't being explored in mainstream media. You know, that whole area you just raised, where is that being explored in the New Zealand Herald? Where is it being explored on One News? Where is it being explored, you know, in Sarah Bistro's team over at uh, Warner Brothers um, Discovery Inc. News Hub? It's not. You know, we're not seeing that level of reporting, and I think that's what we need to see. And I think... My blog is called G News, and we advocate for strengthening these areas of information. You know, the foundations of New Zealand's democracy is quite fragile here, and we've got quite an asymmetric uh, media structure, and we're challenging it, is what we're doing. We have time to squeeze in our questions to end the show with, but not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle. Jared, what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Biggest success? Well, I, th- I think the biggest success is actually holding together a whole bunch of people that have different points of view in one place um, without polarising them or dividing them. People that are tuned into the kind of things that I'm writing are people who come from the far left and they come from conservative backgrounds as well. So there's a whole range across the centre, the centre-left and the far left that are all easily at each other's throats, but... When they're on my page, they're actually looking at um, issues more objectively. You know, we're all talking about context. We're all agreeing that we need to do more, but we're all agreeing that, you know, we need to actually take people along with us. And we're exploring all of these gaps, these holes in the, in the misleading narratives that are actually believed by large pockets in New Zealand. And we're challenging it. And those people that um, coming to my page are going out into those other echo chambers and they're challenging them. And without it becoming kind of like a war between tribes, I think, you know, that's, if there's a way in which um, the conversations continue to can be had, um, it's, all, it's actually good for us. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes we don't agree, but having the conversation is the main thing, and that, that way we form a better view. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team? What's your superpower? <laughs> um, my superpower is um, complete faith and trust in what happens next. And um, with that complete faith and trust in what happens next, what happens next is always the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Well, I think I'm kind of like an activist because there are aspects of things that um, happen uh, through my actions. Like, for example... We've actually pushed um, 70 or 60 um, formal complaints to Television New Zealand One News about its coverage of certain events on many occasions, and they've had to reply, and we've taken it to the 
Broadcasting Standards Association. And what I think we're doing is we're kind of like a bit of a pressure group that's actually saying, raise your game. You know, this whole kind of like um, concise, um, one-sided negative narrative that leaves and emits all of the good context behind a lot of the government's voice um, means that people that think we're on the right track have nowhere to go from, a, from you know, the state broadcaster, you know. And so, you know, that's about activism. It's like trying to change something for the better. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's actually about a better stronger foundation for New Zealand's democracy. Like, I think it's really precious what we've got here. And I think we've got a long way to go, but I think we need to hold on to the things that are good. And I think we need to fight back a bit about those foundations. And I think those foundations are under threat. You know, we're seeing survey after survey showing that people are losing trust in the mainstream media. And I, I think the motivation is to hold, you know, to this um, kind of collective better, you know, future and that's an indigenous future. It's a, a future that's um, got everybody coming along in it. It's a future that's um, world-leading in a lot of ways. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. So um, I'd like to see us kind of like protect the good and recognise the good direction and not go backwards and not be misled, you know, like dispel mistruths. So what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Well, I think um, over the next year, one of the biggest challenges is to ensure that we have a free and fair election, you know, where um, messages and messages around things like um, delivery, messages around things like um, the cost of living, you know, what actually was done, you know, what actually was spent you know um how you know did we you know really perform during this period um i think it's really important that opposition parties and their rhetoric are held to account you know i think if you see them openly misinforming people then it's up to the it's up to new zealand society to kind of push back and say no that's not what happened this is what happened why are you saying this uh, and they're, they're I, you know I don't have time now, but there's, a, there's at least a dozen examples of that I could name at the top of my head. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it real. Keep New Zealand real. You know, like, let's look at facts. Let's be more interested in the facts. Let's bring the facts into the conversation. Um, challenge, challenge people in media who are... Uh, not representing really what's happened, who are paraphrasing and omitting information. You know, that information's valuable. Um, if you've got a good government, then you need to be able to find somewhere where you can go and hear about the good side of the government. You know, you need to be able to find that space. And at the moment, you're surrounded by negativity. Thank you for that. Mawera. Jared, I just want to um, thank you for keeping it real. Uh, you have been the balance... Um, you have created this incredible environment where you welcome and appreciate all the different viewpoints. It's a very rare occasion that I see you say, actually, there's nothing I can do with that person and, and block them um, because you encourage that different perspective. Um, I, I think that we can all take a lesson from that. And I just 
really appreciate the incredible work that you do uh, and encourage people if they have never um, read your work uh, to find you on social media. <laughs> Jared, thank you. Thank you for joining us today uh, and for your wisdom and your insight. We really appreciate your time. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. Hey you out there in the cold getting lonely getting old can you feel me hey you standing in the aisles with itchy feet and fading smiles can you feel me hey you don't help them to bury the Without a fight their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we're broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is pink floyd's hey you i'm samuel Mann in soyuz bay Dunedin with moera karatai in fakatani and from wahiki island we've been joined by jared otto that's blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wow.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.